Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Swalcox. In this week's edition of Insight, it's been such a big week of news, we need to take a holiday. The lights may be on, but nobody's home. We've long considered the New South Wales government's ESL strategy a bit of a bungalow. There's just nothing upstairs. But last week, Cardinal Pell must have wished he'd packed an extra jumper, as it really was a cold day in hell. Steadfast go and spoil our celebrations, however, as they announce a major acquisition that we've got to report on. And to finish, the idioms by this world-class idiot, Afka are in dire straits. They hate complaints for nothing and business interruption for free. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Senior Journalist Benice Han, Editor John Deeks, and Chairman Terry McMullen. Hello, John. Hello. Benice is back. Did Bernice burn her bridges? No, not at all. I don't think she was away for long, was she? Feels like a long time for our listeners. Hello, Benice. Hi, Andrew. Hopefully it's all water on the bridge, whatever it was, hey? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, Terry. Good morning. To continue with the idioms, have you been burning the midnight oil? Ah, that's very good, and I can't think of a single midnight oil song to respond. <laughs> You've caught me. And good morning, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. Two's company and three's a crown. Does that make four a podcast? Five, I think. Oh, I don't count myself. Nor do our listeners. Well, Wendy, you're back to the top of the table. The day we thought we'd never see has arrived. The New South Wales government has promised to abolish the emergency services levy on insurance. Yes. Well, New South Wales Premier Chris Minns says they're going to remove the ESL from insurance and apply it instead to property. They haven't provided detail on what the new system will actually look like. But they say the reforms will be revenue neutral and they'll be appointing an insurance monitor to make sure premiums are reduced by the amount they should be as the change takes effect. And they say they're going to learn from the lessons of the previous coalition government, which announced it was going to ditch the levy before in 2017 changing its mind after some protests from some groups concerned that their costs would actually surge. This government says it's a a different model. Uh, The Treasurer is going to be doing consultations to let everyone know what's going on and finalise the details. So we'll see what happens. Well, it's all a bit utopia. They promised, but will it really happen this time, John? I think it has to, doesn't it? In our analysis article, we likened it to an early Christmas present. I mean, they can't snatch that present away at the last minute like they did last time. I mean, it's a different political setup now in in New South Wales, isn't it? And, And the Premier has been keen to point out the mistakes of the previous government. So I hardly think they're going to be keen to repeat the U-turn that we saw in 2017. The statement itself was very forthright as well. It'd be pretty hard to row back from some of those comments talking about needing to have a fairer system, pointing out the amount that the ESL adds to premiums in New South Wales, which is 18% for home insurance and up to 30% for commercial insurance. And, And New South Wales has a particular problem with affordability of premiums and under insurance. So yeah, very hard to row back from all those comments, I think. And nobody seems to be against it at this stage. I guess the caveat is, as Wendy says, we don't know how the re- replacement system is going to work and and who the losers would be. And when that becomes clear, we might see certain groups jumping up and down and protesting. You know, it's not, I guess it's not impossible. A week is a long time in politics, they say. So, you know, anything's possible, but I, I would be staggered if there was another U-turn like like there was last time. Perhaps the real question, Terry, is why has this taken so long? Hmm. Yeah, I reckon greed and politics, Andrew. 
the business and rural power brokers stopped Gladys Berejiklian's last effort, so the reaction to this one is going to be very interesting. The reason it's taken so long to get to this point, like about mm, 100 years, it's simple enough that the levy on insurance was rarely noticed. People thought it was just some kind of insurance charge or shrugged it off or never even noticed it. Governments have known forever that the levy is the wrong way to go about it. And let's not start with the fact that the state stamp duty is charged on top of the GST component. And we shouldn't think that all the other states are wonderful angels and New South Wales is a sinner. And that Victoria had a fire services levy on insurance until the Royal Commission into the 2009 bushfires condemned the levy as unfair and inefficient. You know, it's it's get that old Paul Keating quote about never getting between a state government and a pot of money. So, yeah, good luck to, to Chris Minns. I think he's going to have to really pull out all the stops to make this work, though. Well, it was a flurry in the office as we had two breaking news bulletins within about half an hour on Thursday. Wendy, Steadfast also announced a major acquisition. Yes, so Steadfast is buying Shore Insurance, which is an underwriting agency that started in 2019 and which has specialised in home and contents cover in regional northern Queensland, which was an unusual uh, business move given all the attention on cyclone and, and weather risks up there. But it's it's done very well since launching and Steadfast says it's a, a very efficient business with excellent underwriting and its products could be rolled out around Australia through the uh, Steadfast client trading platform. So it's buying a 70% interest with a later option to acquire a bit more and it's paying $148.8 million up front and there are two potential further payments of about $29 million and $102 million over the next couple of years contingent on um, Shaw's earning, earnings performance. Were you surprised by Steadfast's latest move, Terry? Not really. Look at it this way. Sure is, you know, a, a well-developed company with a, an obviously interesting model that can be expanded across the network. And I think that's reflected in the price. More striking, but certainly still not surprising, perhaps, was the 280 million share placement to fund more acquisitions. Because when it comes to the competition that's around now for high-performing companies in a a really wide variety of industry sectors, think insurers, underwriting agencies, and especially brokers, I think we'll see plenty more acquisitions from any of a number of willing but shrewd buyers like Steadfast, obviously, AUB, and the internationals like Marsh, Aon and Ardonna. And then there's, it's all happening at, at other levels as well. So, you know, the, the acquisition drive is is still happening and it's all on at the moment, Andrew. Well, Benice, you've been listening to AFCA's annual member forum. What were the key points from last week's? Yeah, AFCA flagged up a few key areas that it's concerned about. The rise in complex general insurance complaints is one, and the other is to do with the quality of expert reports being submitted. And the two are sort of interconnected, uh, AFCA says. Expert reports are be often used to resolve complex comp- disputes. So, And what AFCA is discovering is that expert reports are getting more lengthy and the number of reports has increased too. So is it a good thing? Um, AFCA doesn't think so. Emma Curtis, the lead ombudsman for insurance, says quantity 
quantity is not the answer here. It's all about quality. And she urged insurers to consider how they are using the expert reports and how it's being written so as to reduce the chances of a lengthy dispute process. So she's saying that reports must be clearly written and they must address the arguments made by complainants, keep it factual, neutral, and in plain English, and write for the complainant, which could help to persuade them of your, in this case, the insurer's position. So she did mention a couple of cases where determinations have gone the way of complainants simply because the insurer's expert reports failed to persuade AFCA and cases also where decisions went in favour of insurers because the expert reports from the insurers spell out why a claim was turned down. Quality over quantity has always been my excuse, John, but it seems sensible. Yes, definitely, especially that our journalists have to read through these determinations and the lengthy expert reports. So, uh, yeah, we would uh, agree. Please keep them brief and to the point. But um, seriously, I think I think it's a good point here that um, the insurers have got to make sure that their experts are actually experts and that their reports make clear points that everyone can understand. We had an example recently, an AFCA determination where the insurer sent a carpenter to assess flood damage to a driveway. You know, AFCA made the the point that that was an engineer's job, really, not a carpenter's, and didn't take a lot of notice of what the carpenter thought. So, yeah, they've got to make sure those reports are valid. And there's no point chucking in five different reports, making a load of different uh, conclusions. So, yeah, I also thought that AFCA made an interesting point about disclosure in Benice's article. It mentioned that Ms. Curtis says that AFCA is planning to update its approach paper on disclosure and misrepresentation, and it's going to be consulting about that. We've seen a number of rulings come through on the new laws on on disclosure, which say the duty of disclosure for personal insurance has changed to be a duty to take reasonable care not to make a misrepresentation. And we've seen AFCA side with consumers a few times on that one. Well, other news, we talked a lot about codes recently, Wendy, but the Insurance Council of Australia has launched the latest review of the insurer's code. Well, that's right. It gets reviewed every few years. And uh, ICA said last week that the next one's now started and it will be carried out by an independent three-person panel, which will be led by former APRA Deputy Chair Helen Rowell. And the other members are former Consumer Action Law Centre CEO Jared Brody and Paul Muir, who's an AFCA industry panel member member with 38 years experience in the insurance industry. So the first phase will involve an initial report and recommendations to be delivered by June 30 uh, next year. And and the second phase will focus more on on flood-related issues, you know, taking into account that the federal parliament committee is doing an inquiry into those matters as well over the the next 12 months. So um, that second phase will be finished uh, by June 30, 2025. What do you think is missing from the code, John? I think they'll find some ways to to toughen up an already very strong code. But for me, it's less about what's missing and more about how uh, subscribers can comply. The code is already very strong, I think, but a strong code is no good if nobody can stick to it. I mean, when you think about the number of breaches that we've seen recently in the 12 months to June the 30th, 2022, There were 58,000 breaches of the General Insurance Code of Practice, up 40% on the previous year. And when you think about those floods and all the problems that 
there were with communicating to claimants the obligation, we will tell you about the progress of your claim at least every 20 business days, was breached 17,661 times. So there's no point, in my view, making the obligations tougher and tougher if it's not practical for insurers to meet them. And also, what are the consequences for breaching the code? The Code Compliance Committee does have the power to name and shame and even impose a $100,000 community benefit payment. But as far as I'm aware, neither of those things has happened yet. So yeah, if I was on that code review group, I'd probably be thinking about some of those issues too, not just strengthening the code, but how, how do we make sure that the code, it's possible to comply with the code and how do we make sure we can enforce it? Excellent job application interview there, John. Well, finally, Bernice, there's a new weapon in the battle against bushfire. Yeah, and it's available now at Bunnings for $39. So the weapon we're referring to is a new type of uh, fire retardant undercoat paint. So it's been specially formulated by engineers at the University of New South Wales in partnership with Flame Security, a uh, fire detection specialist. So basically they spent five years to develop FSA fire coat. That's the name of the paint. So without going into the technical details, basically the chemicals in the water-based paint produces uh, produce a thick layer of Char that becomes an insulating barrier to deflect heat from the fire. So the char is the key here. It helps protect your house in the event of a fire. And the paint has achieved a BAL or bushfire attack level 40 rating. So BAL is used to assess resistance of materials to fire and 40 means the materials are capable of protecting buildings from some uh, direct exposure to flames and high radiant heat. Well, that talk of char makes me want to stake. Will you be stopping at Bunnings on your way home, Terry, to undercoat your house? No. If I go to Bunnings, it'll be to buy a spade so I can dig a hole in the backyard and make a bunker. Not a charred sausage? (laughs) I'd have them ready. I'm just not brave enough to trust a coat of paint between me and a bushfire. (laughs) Sorry. Right. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Wendy Pugh, John Deeks, Bernice Han and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Inside Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.